0: our confidence in drawing near to the throne of grace rests on Jesus who meets and surpasses the qualifications for being our high priest. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we continue in your word this morning, having already read portions of it, even sang songs that are expressions of it. We come to this passage in Hebrews, and we ask you to show us afresh that Jesus, our great high priest, meets, surpasses, is fully qualified, and in in him is where our confidence must rest as we have need of boldly and confidently going before the throne of grace. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5 as we read the first 10 verses of this chapter. As we continue this sermon series on the book of Hebrews. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Is this person or this company qualified? This is a question I have asked numerous times, and probably you have as well, as we might be uh, seeking someone to fill a position, as we might be looking for a doctor or a surgeon, Even if we need to have our roof replaced, we check the credentials, we check the qualifications of those whom we wish to help us. And why do we go through all of this? Because our confidence in that person is largely a function of our determining that indeed they are qualified. And of course, we want to find someone, especially if it's a surgeon, who is not only qualified but meets and surpasses the qualifications. If assessing qualifications is important in these matters of everyday life, how much more is determining qualifications, having confidence in someone important when it comes to our eternal uh, destinies? The writer of Hebrews has encouraged us thus far in the letter that he wrote to those original recipients in his day, that Jesus is superior. Jesus is superior to the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus is superior to the angels. He's superior superior to Moses. He's superior to Joshua. And last week and today, we're looking at Jesus being superior to Aaron, the high priest. And so, as we considered last week, Jesus where the the writer of Hebrews encouraged us to hold fast to our profession of faith in Christ and that we might go confidently and boldly before the throne of grace where where a high priest is to receive the mercy and the grace that we need in our time of need. And we see that in verses 14 through 16 of chapter 4. Now today we find the author giving us the reason why he exhorted believers in his day who, by the way, were facing persecution because of their faith in Christ. They were being tempted to forsake Christ and to revert to Judaism. And he encouraged them to hold fast to that confession confidently. Go before the throne of grace that our great high priest might give you the mercy and grace that you need to be faithful to persevere. And today he says, here's the reason why, because Jesus is fully qualified as our great high priest. He's not only fully qualified, he meets and surpasses the qualifications that we find in chapter 5 for the high priest. Outlines, very simple, Aaron's qualifications, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 5 through 10, we'll look at how Jesus meets and surpasses those two qualifications for being the high priest so let's look at verses 1 through 4 what are these qualifications that are set out for the Levitical high priest Aaron verse 1 for every high priest chosen among men must meet two qualifications and the first qualification is the high priest must be able to sympathize with the people that he represents and then secondly, the high priest must be one who is called or appointed by God to that office. And so we find the first qualification, sympathy, in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 5. The text tells us a high priest must be chosen from among God's people in order to represent the people before God. And... The high priest's primary duty, the text tells us in verse 1, is to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. To offer those gifts and sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. Now it's interesting that in verse 1 it says that he's to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. And that for sin is very important because it reflects that indeed the author here in chapter 5 is referring to, to what we read about last week in Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. The, the, one of the duties that only the high priest could do was to take those atoning sacrifices before the Lord on that one day once each year to atone for their sin. And so as a representative of the people, one from among the people, he was to have a capacity to sympathize with the people. Verse 2 tells us that he was to deal gently, that is, Be sympathetic with the ignorant and the wayward. We might think, well, I'm not ignorant and I'm not wayward, but if you are a sinner, you are. Because by ignorant and wayward, we can understand that is that those who go astray by ignorance. I heard one time that sin makes you stupid. And that's really true. So when we fall into sin, we are wayward and ignorant and then the text tells us here in verse two since he himself is beset with weakness so he's to have sympathy for these wayward and ignorant people because he knows exactly what it is like to be wayward and ignorant because he is beset with weakness as well he struggles with sin as well this is the levitical priesthood the capacity to be sympathetic So you may say, well, does that really describe Aaron? I'll just give you two examples that show that indeed Aaron was beset with sin. All you have to do is go to Exodus 32 and look at what happened there. As Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, Aaron was was down at the foot of the mountain. And what did he do? He led the people in making and worshiping a golden calf. And then if you fast forward to Numbers 21, we find Aaron and his sister rebelling against Moses and God called him out for it. He was beset with weakness like the people he represented. He was beset with weakness like you and me. So that's the first qualification the capacity to identify with human weakness to be sympathetic and secondly it was verse 4 the office was not an honor that, that, that Aaron could take for himself the text tells us that Aaron was appointed by God now Exodus 28 and verse 1 actually is God calling Aaron through Moses To the office of priest, even high priest. Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve as my priest. And so Aaron was a high priest because he had the capacity, the duty to be sympathetic to deal gently with the wayward and the ignorant because he was himself wayward and ignorant. He understood what it felt like to sin. And then secondly, he was called by God. And even though Aaron was a qualified priest in these two ways, yet in verse 3, we're reminded once again what we read last week in Leviticus chapter 16... That before Aaron could go and represent the people before God with the atoning sacrifice, he had to sacrifice and make atonement for himself because he was beset with weakness. I want us to see that this Levitical priesthood that had a definite purpose as it was given in the Old Testament yet pointed to the need, and pointed to the future great high priest who would be fully qualified. He would meet the qualifications and surpass the qualifications as high priest, and it is to Jesus' qualifications that we now turn, looking at verses 5 through 10. The author interestingly enough, reverses the order. He dealt with sympathy before calling with regards to Aaron. Now with Jesus, he deals with calling before sympathy. And I think there's a reason for that. This this calling is crucial. How how do we understand Jesus being called to the office of priest? In verses five through six, we we, we learn uh, that Like Aaron, Jesus did not take this honor for himself, but he was divinely appointed. Jesus did not exalt himself to the office of priest; God called him to it. We we see that in verse 5. He was appointed to a superior priesthood forever is what we understand from this text. The author quotes for a second time in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 2 and verse 7, I'm sorry, and chapter 1 verse 5, where he first quoted Psalm 2 and verse 7. This psalm is a messianic psalm. We observed observed that when we looked at chapter 1 some weeks ago. Psalm 2 declares God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, is David's son from the tribe of Judah who is the promised Messiah to reign forever and ever and ever as king. Jesus fulfills perfectly, absolutely, the office of king. That was one of the offices that we see in the Old Testament. He is David's son who sits on the throne forever. That's Psalm 2. The author then establishes that God's son, who holds the office of king, is also a priest. How could Jesus, being a descendant of David from the tribe of Judah, really qualify for being a high priest? The high priesthood and the priesthood in general was restricted. To Aaron and his descendants of the tribe of Levi. But Jesus was not of the tribe of Levi. How could he then qualify to be even the ultimate Levitical priest? It's because he didn't qualify for that. He qualified for something superior to that. That's the point we need to see here. All this business about Melchizedek we'll briefly look at today today. We'll consider in full in chapter 7. But the author shows that Jesus' appointment was to a different order of priesthood, a greater priesthood, a superior priesthood, a perpetual priesthood. It is this priesthood that we read about, that Carl read about when he read Psalm 110 and verse 4, and the author of Hebrews quotes in verse 6. As he says, also another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what does all of this mean? If we go back to Genesis chapter 14, beginning with verse 17, we would find the account of Abraham encountering this mysterious figure, Melchizedek, who is not mentioned much in Scripture, but, but is profoundly important. He, is the, he was the, the king of Salem, and a priest of the God Most High, Genesis tells us. The scriptures say very little about Melchizedek. But what the scriptures say about Melchizedek is relevant with regards to what it doesn't say about Melchizedek. And what it doesn't say about Melchizedek, it doesn't refer to his beginning, nor does it refer to his end. Thus, Melchizedek and that priesthood represented an eternal priesthood, a perpetual priesthood. And it also represented something else, that one person possessing multiple offices. Melchizedek was the king of Salem. Salem, by the way, is an early name for Jerusalem. But he was also priest of the God Most High. He represented one person holding these offices. Now, what we must keep in mind is that Melchizedek was an ordinary man. I do not believe he was the, let me just say this with emphasis, he was not the pre-incarnate Christ. Not the pre-incarnate Christ. He was an ordinary man who served as a type or a foreshadowing of Christ who would hold both the office of king and the office of priest forever, as Psalm 110 tells us. Now, we we should note that as we look at Jesus the mediator, what the Bible teaches is that Jesus as the mediator holds all three offices of Old Testament Israel. In Old Testament Israel the office of prophet, priest, and king were vested in separate individuals. But yet the coming Messiah was to be him who held perfectly and absolutely the office of prophet, priest, and king. And what I want us to see is that the author points to the fact that that Jesus was appointed to a superior priesthood than that of Aaron and the the Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament. Now, we'll look more at Melchizedek when we get to chapter 7. But I hope that uh, precisely rests on that for today. As we simply see the purpose is to see that indeed Jesus was qualified as being appointed, called by God to the priesthood, called by the Father to the priesthood, But his priesthood was a superior priesthood. A priesthood where the priest was also the king perpetually, forever, eternally. And now let's look in verses 7 through 8. His call is dealt with in verses 5 through 6. Now let's look at the fact that in verses 7 through 8, the author shows that indeed Jesus meets and surpasses the qualification for having an unequal capacity for sympathy. He sympathizes with those whom he represents. But there's one significant difference between Jesus as a high priest and Aaron as a high priest. And here's the difference. Aaron had to first atone for his own sin. Jesus did not. Jesus was not beset With weakness, though he could perfectly identify. We've already read about this in chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, where we are told that, that Jesus identified fully with humanity. He was made like his brothers, the text tells us, in every respect. He suffered in every respect, even being tempted, yet without sin, so that he would be our merciful and faithful high priest. And now the author expands a little bit on the humanity of Jesus, how Jesus so intensely identifies with those beset with weakness, given he was not beset with weakness. So we see this this phrase in verse 7, in the days of his flesh, and that should be understood as referring to Jesus's earthly existence the time between the incarnation and his ascension when he lived fully God fully man but lived with a full human nature here on earth all right so today we are giving thanks and recognizing the the blessings of motherhood and I want to Just remind us, in case you've forgotten, that every single human being that has ever lived began and developed in the womb of a mother, was born of her, and was tenderly nourished by her you cannot describe a more human experience than baby in womb, baby being born, baby being nurtured by mom even Jesus our great high priest experienced the womb experience being born of his mother and experience being nurtured by her. Paul says in Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of woman. Jesus identifies with humanity Even submitting himself, the second person of the Trinity, who set aside his divine rights in heaven, to come down, to be incarnate, to submit himself, to be born of woman. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, yes, but born of woman. Verse 7 also reflects how Jesus, throughout his earthly life, so deeply and intensely identified with us, with human weakness. The author emphasizes one aspect of of Jesus' humanity. And if you read verse 7, it it tells us about his life of intensely praying. And as, as we look at the gospel, as we see on numerous occasions, Jesus in prayer, but there is no occasion quite like the prayer before, the night before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus prayed so intently, his sweat was like blood drops. Praying, Father, let this cup pass. But being completely obedient, the agony in the garden. When commentators said the fact the cup was not removed qualified our Savior all the more to sympathize with us. let me just relate this We, we have a we have a great high priest who is before the throne of grace in heaven at the right hand of the father reigning and ruling as king as prophet but also as priest and he's continuing to minister as priest today our intercessor and how many of us have Struggled in the dark valley of despair. How many of us have agonized in prayer in that valley? Fearful, broken. Our great high priest sympathizes with us. Because there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he agonized in prayer. He knows what it feels like to be in the dark valley. On the cross, he experienced being forsaken by the Father. He knows what it feels like to suffer. He not only sympathizes with us, he, he, he literally feels our pain, but he also has the mercy and grace to dispense that we so greatly need in the valley of darkness that we would be faithful even as we agonize in prayer. I hope you see the blessing, the absolute necessity of having a great high priest like that who is called by God, appointed to a superior priesthood, but has the unequal capacity to sympathize right where we are. Though he was not beset with human weakness and he has the mercy and grace that we so desperately need, that he freely gives as we confidently come before him. And then in verse 8 we, we learn that Jesus the Son is, is described as, as learning through what he suffered. And what, what what is the natural course of things? The, the child learns as they develop over time. And, and our Savior was not spared from even that. But we need to look at this in the context of, of, of the bigger picture of Jesus. As, as a boy growing and maturing, we read about that in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, in fact. But we need to see this in, in the purpose of Jesus experiencing that maturing though he was fully God is that he would learn obedience through what he suffered verse 8 so that he would become verse 9 the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him Jesus being made perfect means that Jesus who lived a perfect life perfectly experienced all that humanity had to offer and remained sinless perfect life but fully identifying with human weakness and the reason for this the reason he was made like his brothers the 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 reason he took a full human nature that that he submitted to even being born of woman even submitting to maturing like every other child was that he would die on a cross to redeem God's people. He is the source of eternal salvation. Galatians 4, 4-5, I've already read part of verse 4, but let me read it again and let me read verse 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. The Son matured and learned to be the source of our eternal salvation, that we would become sons of the living God and live eternally. Jesus, our great high priest, was fully qualified. He met, he surpassed the qualifications. He is the perfect source of eternal salvation. For all who believe. He fulfilled the role of high priest in that way by not only being the high priest that offers the sacrifice for atonement, but what he offered was himself as the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. And if you don't get anything else today, get that. Perfectly qualified to be the high priest, perfectly qualified to be the unblemished perfect sacrifice once and for all. Jesus, the source of eternal salvation, is to be understood in terms of Jesus being the source or grounds of our justification. Justification being that, that central doctrine. Yes, justification, sanctification, but I want to focus on this aspect of justification our pardon from the guilt of sin is based solely on Christ's merit alone. He took our guilt due to our sin, something that was alien to him, and he bore it on the cross and paid for it in full. Testelestai, paid for, finished, Done. Our acceptance as righteous before God is based solely on Jesus' merit alone. We are accepted as righteous before God because His perfect record, His righteousness, something that's alien to us, is credited or imputed to us. And we are accepted today even though we struggle with sin, even though we are not inherently righteous, yet we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and we, have, and we are accepted. Listen, we are accepted before the throne of grace. Now you know why the writer of Hebrews said, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Because your great high priest is there who perfectly served as a high priest to offer a sacrifice and the sacrifice he offered was his perfect life for you. He bled for you that you would be able to come to the throne of grace, be accepted because of his pardon from the guilt of sin and his perfect righteousness which is your standing before God and receive the mercy that you so definitely, definitely need is on His merit as the source of eternal salvation that we have any hope at all, that we have any confidence at all. And that confidence is to go boldly before the throne of grace, to receive the mercy and grace in our time of need because our great high priest is fully qualified. He meets and surpasses the qualifications as the high priest and as a sacrifice. In verse 9 the author says, Jesus our great high priest and perfect sacrifice is fully qualified as the only source of eternal salvation But there's one phrase at the end of verse 9 that is very important for you and me today. And here's the phrase, to all who believe. Do you believe? His justifying work is received not based on our merit, not based on our performance, not based on... Our law keeping. In fact, the work of Jesus, that 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 justifying grace of Jesus is received in spite of our sin. It, because it is received by faith through faith alone. And so I want to wrap wrap this up by, by looking. And and just relating this to three types of people. Today you, you may be here and you really don't see your need for a Savior. You are perfectly fine resting in your own ability. You view yourself as a good person and whatever life after death looks like, you'll qualify because you're a good person. And the problem with that is your confidence rests in you. And one day all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll stand in one of two ways. Either we'll stand with our own record or will stand clothed in the record of Christ. And dear friend, today, if you are here, you don't see your need for a Savior, you think you're good enough, you'll you'll get into heaven, everybody's going to get into heaven. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Hebrews chapter 5 says. You need your confidence to rest in this great high priest that we've talked about this morning. Because what he says is, to all who believe, your guilt is pardoned because of me. And you'll stand before God. And even, and even today, you can come before the throne of grace with confidence because you're clothed in my righteousness. Would you consider, do you believe? And would you consider the claims of Scripture with regards to Jesus Christ, the only way to heaven, the great high priest who offers to be your intercessor? Second person is you view yourself as a believer, but you just feel like you can't do enough to satisfy God, and I have news for you, you, you can't, but you're ever striving to, to do the right thing, uh, to do the right religious rituals, to be good like the rich young ruler. I've done all those things with regards to the law, except his heart hadn't done, done any of it because <laughs> he didn't have the ability. And it's the same problem. Your confidence is in yourself to try to perform in a level that's acceptable for God. Your confidence in, is in some religious ritual to somehow make you acceptable. Your confidence may be in all. Just in simply doing the, the disciplines of the Christian life may be where your confidence rests. And none of that's going to work. Jesus, And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, you, you come to me. And I will give you the mercy and grace that, that you need. You come to me and, and, and I will, through faith, I will, I will pardon the guilt of your sin and I will clothe you in my righteousness. And you have free access to the throne of grace for mercy and help. And there's a third type of person who is a believer and just struggling. And we can so easily forget our need of grace and mercy every day. We can so easily forget that the way is wide open for us to storm the throne of grace in heaven in prayer and access the ministry of our great high priest. But we either ignore it, we're complacent with regards to it, or we're actually here... Resting in our own performance, it's the same problem, placing confidence in something else other than placing, and here's the point I want to make, placing our full confidence in our great high priest, who is not only fully qualified, he meets and surpasses the qualifications for high priest. Would you believe on him, the source of eternal salvation? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful picture in Hebrews 5 of our great high priest, for all that he has done for us as is reflected in this passage. And Father, I would first pray for anyone who might be here today that is unsure about his or her relationship with Jesus, the great high priest. Father, would you work in their hearts and draw them to yourself in saving faith and show them our merciful and faithful great high priest and bring them to be fully confident in him and to receive all that he has done and father i pray for one who might be here who believes that he's himself or herself to be a believer but just struggling there's fear there's guilt all those things and father would you do likewise revealing the ministry of jesus the great high priest fully qualified the source of our justification, the power of our sanctification, our life. And Lord, I pray for someone like me who who is a believer and who loves you but struggles so to daily live in light of the throne of grace where a merciful great high priest is reigning, ruling, and interceding. My need of him That I would flee from putting my confidence, that we would flee from putting our confidence in all these other things, that our confidence would be rooted in Him, that we might be able to boldly go with confidence before the throne of grace to our fully qualified high priest, O Lord, who meets and surpasses every qualification for not only being the high priest, but also being the sacrifice, the once for all sacrifice to atone for the sin of God's people. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.